HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm one of HRN's interns, Nina Medvinskaya, with a preview of the next episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. This week's topic, the marriage of food and danger. Sometimes danger lurks in the food that we eat. So instead of saying what is poisonous, I'd rather say what's not because it's literally just the flesh and the fins. Food poisoning doesn't just threaten our bodies but it endangers our environment as well. The emissions of JBS, combined with the other top five meat companies, exceed the annual emissions of Exxon, Shell, or BP. For more, tune into this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. Today we sit down with Zach and Marley of Lamore Pizzeria. The pair met in New York, to camp for Charleston, South Carolina, where they built their own mobile pizza oven, and now they are in L.A. doing pop-ups for pizza lovers all over the city. Then we were at Danger Bird Records Studios in Silver Lake with Dev Ray talking about his solo project and talking about why he thought I'm So Excited by the Pointer Sisters was the perfect classic to cover. Sit back, relax, Happy New Year. Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. We are here with Marley Blodgett. Yep. And Zach Swemley. Nailed it. And Barkley the dog. Barkley the dog too. Barkley the dog too. (laughs) Was there a number? No. Okay. T O O. Okay. Um, uh, Co-founders of Lamora Pizza. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks Uh, for having us. I always love sitting down with ex New Yorkers in LA, uh, and I've realized now that if I don't put on the recorder, we can just gossip about New York for forever. (laughs) But would you ever think, living in New York so long, that LA would become? the pizza town it has become? Not at all, especially in the last... I feel like even since we've arrived, pizza has just become more popular here, whether it's... When did you arrive? A year and a half ago. Yeah. It just seems like it's more talked about. Not that we specifically brought anything or anyone else Yeah, wasn't just, already here. It seems like it's talked about now. We happened to move, I think, at the right time, and there's a little bit of a, a pizza wave going on. Ooh, <laughs> a real classy pizza wave. Well, uh, before we talk about Laura Pizza and you coming out here, I want to go back a while bit. 
Marley, you come, you grew up in Pizza Royalty. Your dad worked at CPK. <laughs> yes. For twenty years. Yeah. Um, where did you grow up, and what was your favorite pie? Oh, I grew up in South Florida, so he was the director of operations for all the stores in that region. But we came out to LA often. Um, but my favorite pie, perhaps, was. Maybe just the classic barbecue chicken with ranch. I mean, <laughs> barbecue chicken. My brother and I worked at a place called Pizza Pizza, R.I.P., and they did a barbecue chicken pizza. Yeah. And I think unless you grew up with it, like I think if you had it later in life, it's probably something that you might crinkle your nose at. But yeah. growing up with it. Yeah. I think he Zach grew up in, in Minneapolis, so they I think maybe you had one at the Mall of America there, but it wasn't like he grew up going to a lot of independent little mom-and-pop restaurants in my experience of eating as a child was like so many chains but I always try to break down the tiers of chains for him and I'm like CPK was at the top like you can't compare it to Ruby Tuesdays or, or this and that I think CPK still sits at the top for some people yeah I think mm-hmm. they sold and a lot changed and of course you know with growth and this and that comes a lot of different things but um I think for a while, a lot of people are like, that was my mom and I's, you know, every Saturday would go to the mall and have a chopped salad and a barbecue oh. chicken pizza. <laughs> um, now, Zach, your entry into pizza was a little bit more artisanal, because you sort of, yeah. like, when you were in San Francisco and you were cooking, um, you were working at Pizza Delfino, which is one of the, like, yeah. legendary pizza places. Exactly, yeah. What, yeah. what brought you into the, the dough world? I, honestly, I don't know. It was... A lack of another job. Yeah. Um, I heard good things from a friend in New York. I moved New York, San Francisco, back to New York. And he sent me to Delfina, and I think I walked into the wrong Delfina, and it was Pizzeria Delfina. (laughs) (laughs) Same company, but... uh, And then that's... I started making pizza, and there was... That was it. I mean, I've I've talked with a lot of bakers and and, uh, pizzaholas, and once you get bit by that pizza bug... And trying to get the perfect dough and the perfect alchemy of meat, sauce, topping, like that, it never goes away. It doesn't. It really doesn't. And I think Delfina does it so well that I've kind of just adopted a lot of what I learned there, which made it a little easier for me for me currently with Lamora. Um, obviously, different ovens, different dough, different different everything. But Delfina had Delfina had the alchemy, so they taught it all. So, what were those early days and? Give me a year of pizza life because I feel pizza, and I'll say with Roberta's, sort of had in the last 10, 15 years has really become like this like pop culture zeitgeist. What was pizza like back when you were starting to make it and things like that? I don't know that it was really a thing. I knew of Una Pizza Napolitana because sure. I was I moved from New York to San Francisco. Um, but I didn't, I didn't, I guess Did I didn't see even it as think a, about it really as yeah, I don't know the if, whole, you know, subculture of all these different styles. And I just feel like it's taken so much more seriously than it once. Yeah, it to me growing up was, uh, like whenever we got to go from Philly to New York, I was like, we're going to get a slice of pizza. And then if not, it was, you know, our local pizza shop or Domino's or something like that. Now it's, you could open up a three-star pizza restaurant. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. There, was, there wasn't that when I started at Delfina. As far as I knew, I was also, like I said, I didn't mean to go there, so I was kind of chasing a different wave of <laughs> cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know about the pizza craze, but it's, it's a thing. I don't know. 
Um, so how were those early days like? Like, what were you learning? How did you get into pizza? What were those first couple of pies? Success, uh, failures? I think it was success. I, I, I was told by a chef, I took a short-term job. I'm not going to say any names. But he was like, don't go to Delph- Pizzeria Delphine. That's just a bunch of pirates there. And, like, just talking about the cooks, like, they're not real cooks. It's, right. like, skaters and whatever. And I don't know. All the guys I met there are still cooking. They're, a lot of them still make pizza. Like, Is that guy, think, is the guy told you not to go no longer in the biz? Uh, he's still in the biz. <laughs> oh, cool. um, so what eventually brought you, you back to New York and you to New York? Did you go straight from Florida to New York? Yes, I did. Zach did uh, New York, San Francisco, and then New York. We met on his second term in New York um, and then have been all over since. But that... And, you just were ready to leave San Francisco. Again, ready to right? leave Go back was, to the East Coast. I was going to approach a different culinary thing and butchering, and I got to New York, and again, I won't say any names, but somehow that fell through when I landed in New York. Hmm. But and you both met at um, uh, Mission Cantina. Yep. Yeah. Short lived. Loved. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I mean, I liked it when it opened up. I liked those burritos. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was good right when it when it opened. I mean, that was. I remember. And again, not to gossip New York. When that opened, that was like, oh, here we go. Like, here's a new wave of restaurants. Like, here's a new scene. Uh, What was it like working there? How did you guys two meet? Like, what was the early story of you guys? Um, You want to take that one? Yeah. uh, That was my... So I grew up in the restaurant industry, but since was just going to school in New York and working in retail a little bit. And (coughs) saw I lived on Orchard Street, and I had always contemplated getting back into... The restaurant side of the business just because it's so much of what I knew and then I was like you know what I'm gonna go check out this mission cantina and apply and I think Zach and I in our well, I opening think, I think Danny bought jeans from you a few oh, times yes. too. Oh yes Danny was my client <laughs> at Acme so okay. he'd, he'd come by his kitchen uniform spent lots of money on clothes with me and your I've, classic Acme jeans is a kitchen uniform of course, yeah, of course. Perfect. I know. if it's a story I've heard a million times. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway from there I started working at Mission. I think Zach and I realized in our opening, um, we were having like a little meet and greet with the employees. And I guess we they asked what our favorite restaurant was. And Zach and I both said Frankie's Spuntino in, in Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah yep. Shout out nice. to the Franks. Um, and then from there, it was history. <laughs> well, it took a year of being there. Yes, and then it, it took a year of working <laughs> there and some other things going down. But... Um, one of our first conversations was about pizza and just how much we both had a love for it, which is ironic where we ended up now. The idea for La Mora was something just kind of, I mean, people always think we conceived it prior to moving to Charleston, which we didn't get to that yet, but um, it was kind of a distant thing. It was just this shared love of pizza that we both had. And I mean, Michigan Tina was near one of my Rosario's. My favorite slice on the corner there. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 But that's what I think of. They do I, the cheeseburger slice. They do the cheeseburger <laughs> slice. They do some wild stuff, sort of CPK-ish. Yeah, but CPK a, had a cheeseburger pizza. Yeah. Um, but when did you guys? Because I know that you went to go cook at another restaurant. You both sort of went your separate ways as far as restaurant go. But when did you start to feel that to make the next step or to make your own pizza company real you had to get out of New York did, or did New York factor into it and then you go like we can't do it here no actually uh, our move 
had really nothing to do with opening our own business at the time. It was more of just a... Yeah, Lamora, Lamora didn't, wasn't even a thought at that point. Yeah, we just decided we were ready to leave New York. Um, it happens. Yeah. yeah. And when that bug gets in your brain of like, I got to get out of the city... You just gotta go. Yeah. Because I know people who had that bug and then stayed for three for, or four years. Or for longer. Five, longer. Yeah. That have been there five years saying it. So. Um, yeah. But what drew you to Charleston? Uh, what brought you down down south? We uh, <laughs> we went to Italy for two months with yeah. no plan. We packed everything and drove it to the Midwest and put it in my mom's attic. And then we had nowhere to go when we got back from Italy. So yeah, it was like, we were uh, like, maybe traveling will give us some clarity. Because I think that's the, the biggest issue. Everybody knows they want to leave New York. And then they're like, where the hell do we go from here? Yeah. I mean, it was easy so, to have an anchor when I left in LA. But it's just yeah. like, when you leave, you go, I want something, but different. I don't want to go to like New York light, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, and that's for us, we were like ruling out LA and San Francisco. Like we didn't want to go straight to another big city. Mm-hmm. So we we're like, where do we find kind of this happy medium? Instead, we picked maybe one of the <laughs> smallest cities smallest, in the country cities, that yeah. we didn't run the population before we decided to make the move. But anyway, it was totally accidental. Zach had been there for a wine and food festival years prior. I'd been for a wedding weekend and we just said, let's go if we find a house or you know if we get good vibes in 48 hours we'll do it we signed a lease on a 48 hour visit and, yeah or yeah they went guys up now before we go to the break i want to touch on italy a little bit is that where your uh pizza plans sort of cemented because there's no better place to eat neapolitan pizza than all over italy i think that this this pizza plan was never even like yes, we always talked about pizza. Am I from, giving too much credit to the pizza plan before the, the, well, the pizza we, plan happened? Yeah, like she said, no, we talked about pizza the, the first pizza time we ever went out for drinks. Uh, so I think yeah. it was just like Italy helped. I mean, we like yeah, we ran with Damichele and boxes to our train because we weren't sure if we like yeah. pizza was a thing. <laughs> like, like we, in we Italy. knew we, we loved pizza then. Yeah, yeah. we yeah. ate at five pizza places in like two days, but. Um, Still hadn't conceptualized, like maybe in the the distant future, but never the plan for a mobile oven or never anything like that. Awesome. Just a lot of eating and drinking. Mm. <laughs> one of the best places in the world to do it. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about your move to Charleston, the opening of a pizza place in arguably not a pizza city, and then your eventual move to L.A. Uh, we're here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Here's a song from the archives. We'll be right back. Is on a symbol, permanent vacation. 
Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I'm here with Zach and Marley of Lamora Pizza. So, leave New York, go to Italy, throw a dart on a map of Charleston, exactly. sign a lease. <laughs> and you are in Charleston, obviously, with a background in uh, working in restaurants and things like that. How long did you did it take for you to decide that you want to start your own thing? Was that always the <laughs> idea, or did you start in restaurants and then start to build out your own restaurant uh kind of both it was kind of like when we got there and started looking for jobs we kind of realized maybe it was time to start figuring out what we wanted to do ourselves but we both also went and found jobs because you can't spend two months in italy and then move to a different city and not have money no not have an income and not when you have to put down first month last month security deposit yeah um and it was a good way to kind of get introduced to you know a city we we came from new york where you get to a point there where you can't go out to dinner without knowing someone that works there running into someone and we're in this new city like okay we have no idea we didn't know anyone so it was a good way to kind of get uh Get ingratiated to the city. Exactly. Um, what was the pizza scene like in Charleston? Non-existent. Yeah, non- like, yeah. truly non-existent when we first moved there. Um, I mean, I can't even think of. I don't think we even ate pizza before we started. I can't think of anywhere. There. No. Yeah. So they. <laughs> I mean, they had like a couple old haunts that if you asked people you know maybe they would tell you about but otherwise it was kind of a very lacking thing there which also led to um our decision to do that i think more so we just kind of shortly after getting there we learned i think that this wasn't going to be a uh, long-term destination for us like somewhere we wanted to lay roots sure so it became you know like how do we get the most out of this and enjoy it for a good year to two years and then be able to graduate from there. So when did the idea of Lamora Pizza, how did it get born? Because there's always the couple bottles of wine, like, oh, yeah. maybe we'll do this. <laughs> but, I don't know if we'd been drinking that night, but we were laying in bed. It was like right before, you know, you like put your phone away. <laughs> if if you go on your phone in, in bed, I know a lot of couples rule that out nowadays, yeah. but, and roll over and are like, okay, good night. Zach was like, what if I just built an oven um literally that's how it came about and i think i was like what and kind of gave him a weird look it was kind of a no look and rolled back over and went to bed (laughs) um but yeah i think i mean uh let me know if i'm correct in saying this but i think it was more of like okay zach he's in the city he wants to start cooking pizza and a lot of people do and that's why you know companies are coming out with all these electric ovens that get really hot to make pizza at home because you want to start cooking but you don't have the means and so yeah. much about uh, so much about it is the oven so Zach was just like you know what if I just build an oven and I just start making pizza on it I mean how much experience did you have building a pizza oven <laughs> uh, zero zero yeah. how does one get because you already had the experience of cooking and working in restaurants and uh, you know, your knowledge of both fine dining pizza and CPK, which right. is also fine dining in its own <laughs> yeah. right. But, you know, that's different than uh, building a pizza oven that's going to actually be safe, retain heat, be able to use day in, day out, things like that. How does one go about doing that? Uh, I think after that initial conversation, I, I told my dad the next day, 
and within a few days he had been he had emailed me plans for pizza ovens and thoughts and ideas and, feeding the fire yeah feeding yeah. the fire um are you a handyman in general yeah yeah okay. yeah i can I can build whatever, I guess. But when I, I didn't, when I saw him build the oven, I was like, "Okay, we need a bookshelf. We need this." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right. You've been holding out on me. <laughs> um, so, how long did it take to build the oven, and then from building the oven, sort of making it like a real business? Because it's one thing to build the oven; it's another thing to know how to make pizza. But to actually be like, "We're going to make food that we're going to sell to people." What was the process and time of that? Uh, we. We dove right in. Yeah, it was, I think that's where I came in. Maybe I was like, okay, I've thought about this for a minute, and what if we, you know, did it like this? Or and then from there, it was just a constant conversation of how do we? We didn't want to be a food truck per se, um, and and just the idea of what Zach wanted to build. It was literally like an oven on wheels. It wasn't like this, you know, full food facility sure. on a truck or anything. So we kind of knew that that wasn't going to be our game. Um, so it was more so like, how can we collaborate with other businesses and you know get them to want to host, host us? Yeah. You know, so we can bring them a following and and bring people who are going to you know buy more of their food or their wine and beer. Um, and then while we can still successfully sell our pizza and you know without having a brick and mortar location and that said we dove left. dove right in we, we, dove we went right in. we went full-time into lamora as soon as it was built really yeah, yeah we both with the jobs everything yeah all in. i was i was already done when to like i already quit to finish building it yeah so i think we knew we were just gonna go for it yeah i think i worked for a little bit i was working at the ordinary there and mm. Everybody was so sick of hearing me. They're all like, what? What does your boyfriend do again? Remind me. I'm like, oh, he's at home building Just a pizza. Hanging out with the dog and building <laughs> out with the pizza. They thought we were completely insane. But. And so what was that first event like? How did you get the word out? What, did people come? A few we got lucky. people came. Yeah, there was like there a... There was a marathon. We were at a brewery in the middle of North, North Charleston. Charleston. And there happened to be a marathon ending. When we set up, so yeah, some sort of our first event was busy. Carbo load, but then what about the second and third? Because it's always you know like the first event, like hey, my friends are coming, hey, my family's coming. But yeah. what was that? Oh, we had no friends or family, so that wasn't even <laughs> an option. But what was that sort of slow, steady journey to it becoming? I don't want to say a real thing, but being like, oh, like this is actually going to work. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was finding our identity for sure there yes. was a, like breweries we were doing anything we could because we didn't have other jobs right um where breweries and things like that weren't weren't things we wanted to do initially we never thought like oh we're gonna do pop or go to breweries and be a food truck but sure. we I mean, had it's, to it's a natural thing you know a lot of breweries don't have food they don't yeah. have full kitchens and people are drinking and hungry so you know, we had the opportunity to get into a couple of places with that, you know, and then we learned from there, we're like, maybe this isn't our clientele entirely. So there was a couple we kept in our repertoire, but honestly, we were just really greeted with open arms from the entire Charleston market. Like, I think that people were very eager to have pizza and have people doing something a little bit different and have good pizza. To have good pizza, yeah. Um, maybe it wasn't good on day one and two, but... <laughs> you remember, that, remember that moment when you had first real pizza? Yeah. And you go, what? What I have mean, I, I been I doing mean, my I've whole been life? I've been eating pizza, but like, you're like, 
oh, I didn't know yeah. that pizza could be this. Yeah, my experience was Little Frankie's. That was like my first time having Shout out. proper wood fire yeah. pizza. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so knowing that Charleston was not going to be where the roots were going to go deep down, when did you start looking to move and how did you since you had a mobile business, decide what city to go to. Because by this time, it's 2016, 2017, like pizza has now become what pizza is, which is a lot of people just have artisanal Neapolitan pizza places. How right. did you pick the market? What did you think that you wanted? Um, I think that in leaving Charleston, we were just kind of like, to be honest, we were thinking more about ourselves and our own happiness than our business to begin with. Just because the beauty of pizza is that it can go anywhere. And I think we've just always had a lot of faith in what we're doing and the restaurant we, we hope to open someday. And I think we actually said to each other, we're like, I think confidently, you know, this concept that we want to do would be okay in, in most cities. So where do we want to live? Right. Um, so we started with that. And then I think we did a trip. We did Austin, San Francisco, and L.A. Yeah. Um, a couple years ago and we were like let's just hit all those places and see you know like where where do we want to be and we'd been to all of them already but yeah. we're like let's approach it like we could potentially move here because that's something we didn't do right on the other end of the spectrum and so, and so how did LA went out because arguably I mean you've been here for a year and a half but pizza a year and a half ago there were places popping up but it wasn't really a thing did you just see an opening yeah i mean we came to eat pizza here on that trip and we were like oh my gosh there's like no pizza really in this city for the size of it you know i know um well there's pizza there's There's pizza pizza. there's pizza there is but hard stop there there was pizza there's pizza sure but being ex-new yorkers and we're like okay this is the second largest city in the U.S. And we're like, it's, you know, it's lacking in terms of that. So that was kind of a cool um, bit of insight to, you know, what we could bring potentially to the market here. And since we've arrived, like we talked about, I think that's really changing. Yeah, the pizza scene has really changed. But how did you guys, when you get here, um, again, not being from here, I assume you had some friends here somewhere. Yeah. How did you start to spread the word? Because, you know, the saturation point of just any new restaurant here is is crazy. It it took a while. We didn't we didn't do our first event for maybe five months of living here, and really weren't sure how we were gonna do pop ups in LA. It didn't. It was it was easy in Charleston. You didn't drive as far. You weren't on the yeah. 101 or the 405 pulling an oven uh sorry Barkley wants to be in the interview really okay, bad Barkley. right now um but you know it's you know it's just to get any sort of one to write or to even pay attention to you things like that I mean did you at some point how did you set up that first uh event how did you start uh talking uh getting people to talk about the pizza We've kind of always taken the organic route, and it's still the way we're going now. I mean, initially, that was birthed out of just being a (coughs) two-person mobile business and not having the financial means to hire a PR company. And now I think we've just kind of decided this is... We want to do it the old-fashioned way, and that's kind of how we, we started here. And it's all grown word of mouth and from people eating our food and talking about it and hopefully telling... A friend or you know I think the biggest compliment 
I always say is when someone returns and has like their sister or their brother yeah. or their mom or their family and I'm like you found something you love and you want to share it with someone you love and it sounds cheesy but <laughs> that's the old fashioned way of you know making a restaurant survive um, so we're trying yeah earnestly and uh, so you're doing a couple pop up a couple pop ups a week and uh, it's full time for you as well. Um, are you doing it Salazar? Are you doing it Hail Mary? Um, and, but what are like the, what would you see in like the next year, two years of what you would like to see the more pizza become? Uh, well, would like to have a roof. Oh yeah. 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 Does at some point the mobile pop-up brick oven thing, I don't want to say it gets old because oh, it's, yes, it gets it old. Totally it's, it's old. <laughs> it's old. <laughs> <laughs> like you want to be able to like shut the door one night and then come back and shut the door and not have to like start over totally. from scratch every yeah, day. Totally. Yeah. And we want to have a dishwasher that we will pay very well and love and adore, but yeah. like we don't want to come home with our dishes, you know, at midnight every single night. Um, so we can't wait for that. Yeah, there's the, that list could go on. That there's a lot of things we on. want yeah. in a restaurant. Zach picks up his orders all over the city. You know, we're transferring. You'd rather have the delivery I'd come love to, you. to have a delivery. Exactly. I'd love to have someone make dough with me. So is it still just a two-person operation? Um, we have some regular employees that we've been able to retain. But again, I mean, being mobile and, you know, one month we could have 20 events. One month we could have five. So with that said, it's hard to retain sure. um, regular employees. Uh, but yeah, we've had some faithful people that enjoy yep. sticking around and helping us out, and we've been able to to make that work as well. But yeah, f- for the majority of things, it's just Zach and I. Awesome. Well, before yeah. we go, uh, one last question. Now that LA has so many pizza places, you you included as ex New Yorkers, where are you on the LA New York pizza? I don't want to say rivalry, but how, has LA caught up? Where is LA? You know, is uh, New York New York seat in its rear view mm, as far not, as the pizza city? No, I don't. Think I, I don't that think will. I don't think New York can be replaced for that. Yeah, LA is trying, and and we're trying to help, but I don't think I don't think New York can be replaced. I don't think that LA will ever get to that point. No, they need like a hundred years. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like it's, New it's, York and taco trucks. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's never going to be a destination uh, for that. No. Um, although, I hope people travel to eat our pizza. And I'm sure they will. So, if people want to come and find your pizza, where can they go? Where? How can they find you? Um, social media, our website. We try to keep a calendar live. You can call us. You can email us. Um, Mar- Marley's phone number is on the website. Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, but truly it is. Occasionally I'll get a call and someone's just like, hey, are you guys cooking tonight? I'm like, no, sorry. We're with the dog at we're, home. We're but, you know, um, social media, Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. We'll, we'll try to keep you guys it up so much. Thank you, Barkley, for hanging out as well. Yep. Uh, we have a live performance after this next musical break here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
Heritage Radio Network is turning 10. For the last decade, we've been committed to bringing listeners around the world the very best in food radio for free. Our small staff and incredible network of hosts work hard so that listeners can tune in each week to hear the important conversations in food policy, stay on the cutting edge of cocktail culture, and hear the latest updates in food tech. But there is no HRN without the support of listeners like you. Become a member of Heritage Radio Network today and help HRN get a strong start to our second decade. Choose from exclusive member gifts and stay in the loop on discounts to upcoming events. There's no better time to show your support. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate and wish HRN a happy birthday. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. We are sitting at the legendary Danger Bird Record Studios in beautiful Silver Lake. It is t-shirt weather, it is the winter, and that is why the three of us live here. <laughs> we want to welcome to the show Dev Ray and his buddy Joel. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you. Dev, Sorry. you were born and bred in California, so you've had the right idea from birth of where to live. Oh, yeah. Uh, how have you like grown up here? How have you found the state being here from birth to now has inspired you, your music, your creative process? Hmm. That's a good question. Big guns. <laughs> right at the start. Actually, to be honest, for a long time, I, I wanted to live in New York. Yeah. Um, I'm, uh, actually probably growing up, I listened to a lot of more music from New York than California. Who'd you like, listen to? Who's like your influence the growing up? Early mid two thousands scene, like uh, Jonathan mm, Fire Eater, Walkman, like the Walkman. Um, there's some some of those other yeah 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 kind of going Strokes blanks. Interpol Strokes Interpol. Did you read Meet Me in the Bathroom? No, if no. For, you would like that because yeah. it's all about that scene. Um, also, a lot of the Chicago scene, like the Chicago like nineties, like the post rock yeah. stuff, like Scene Cake, Tortoise, um, Joan of Arc. Not them as much. My friend Martin likes them, though. Yeah. Um, and Captain Jazz? No, I haven't heard them either. Ooh. Yeah, it was just like Tortoise, Scene Cake, Wilco, Gastrodel Soul, and that was about it. Like Jim O'Rourke, yeah. that little crew. You can hear a lot of um, that type of music influence your music. Uh, what do you love about it? What do you pull from it? Um, I guess like a lot of the experimental song structure, mm. some of the... Some of the jazz stuff. Not that my music really has a lot of jazz in it, but um, I don't know, that kind of cold weather 
Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But also like you, you know, UK bands like Stereolab. But I still now I feel like everything. Like I almost wanted to move for a while. Like oh, I want to move to New York. I want to go to London or something. But now I feel like everything. Like I feel like I'm here now at the right place. Like I feel like if I was to move away now. It just wouldn't make sense because well, everything is happening right now here. L.A. creatively right now is one of the best places to be in the world. Yeah, um, and it's funny as a uh, lifelong East Coaster, so I moved here to have fantasies about cold weather. It's <laughs> really funny um, because having experienced it, uh, that music definitely helps because you're like, I'll do anything to distract from my wet feet. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, you still use some of that stuff because you do a lot of bedroom writing. You do like a sort of a lo-fi approach. What do you like about that minimal setup, um, at least in starting your songs and getting everything ready? Um, hmm. I guess control, I guess. Yeah? Yeah. Um, I usually... Well, I usually r- am comfortable like writing by myself. Um, till recently, though, I've been working on stuff. With Andy. Shout out, Andy. Shout out. Always making it sound good. <laughs> yeah. So that's been that's been a uh, challenge, like a fun challenge. I like that, actually. Um, writing with others. But what do you love about writing about yourself? How do you get your process going for songs? Um, good question. For a while, I was writing songs on guitar, and then I bought this Casio tone right here. It's mm. Casio tone 701. Um, I was living in Highland Park about like three or four years ago. Um, and I bought this, and that kind of changed my whole way of writing. And I got um, really heavy. I was influenced by bands like Beach House, for mm. instance. Um, and uh, for a while, too, I was going through sort of like a breakup kind of thing. So I just wrote a bunch of songs on this keyboard that <clears> were <throat> inspired by that. Um, now I know that before you did your solo project, you were in a couple bands, So Many Wizards, and Tomi Mitsu. Tomi Mitsu. It's it's his uh, middle name. Uh, Got it. Yeah. Um, And you had this genre called dream punk. Yes. Which comes very clear once you hear the name, but I'd never heard dream punk before. So for those who are unfamiliar with it, and you sort of alluded to that in what you were just talking about, but what is dream punk? How is that style different than, I would say, normal punk? Uh, and what's the dream part about it? Good question. Yeah, that was uh, Nima Cazzaroni. That was his project, So Many Wizards. And uh, I joined that band in 2013. And I guess Dream Punk, I'm pretty sure he, I don't know, maybe that term was... It's a good term. Maybe that was coined before, but I remember him calling the genre Dream Punk. And it makes sense because it's, if it was just punk, I probably wouldn't have joined the band. Not Nothing against punk or anything. No, of course but I just feel like, you know, I wanted to do something a little different. Yeah. Like, I'm a little older. Um, I guess it kind of has the punk energy and, like, the the f- fun that's associated with punk. And, like I said, the high energy. But the vocals, a lot of, like, reverb-drenched vocals that kind of make it a little dreamier. Not as fast. A little more mid-tempo. Mm. And, like, bridges that kind of kind of float a little bit like yeah. it'll be a really high energy fast kind of fun song and then all of a sudden it will kind of just float for a while like in the bridge i love um, that that changing the tempos is, yeah it, like makes you stand up and think a little bit yeah so i guess probably that like the the very 
the reverb drenched vocals and Nima having a very good voice, like a very kind of strong, beautiful voice mixed with uh, reverb guitars make it kind of dreamy. Awesome. Well, before we get into your solo work and the start of that career, can we hear a song? Yeah. Uh, what do you want to play for us? We're going to play, we're going to start with Mermaid. Awesome. Well, here we go. Dev Ray at Dangerbird Studios here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Yay! 
Mermaids. Mermaid. Yeah, strip down. <laughs> strip down. Strip down mermaid. Yes. Strip down mermaid. That was very in the middle of the song I stopped the drum machine and started it, by the way. That was that was a lot that was very hard to Smooth. do. So <laughs> seamless. Single um, keys drum machine. So what made the decision or was there a moment when you decided to get out of the bands and go solo? What was that moment like? Mm-hmm. What's the process like in what's that conversation like with your fellow bandmates? Mm. That's another good question. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been playing in bands since like my early twenties. I s- played drums in a band when I lived out in the desert. Did you Ma- like that? Mojave I know guys desert. who started the dr- like who play on the drums and then are also front guys. Love playing on the drums. Oh yeah, I love drums. They're actually the fun, the probably the funnest to play, uh, most fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, drums are great. Um, so I started with that, and then yeah. I moved to L.A., and then. I joined a band, and then I joined So Many Wizards, and then I joined Tomi Mitsu. Played drums at Tomi Mitsu, played bass in So Many Wizards. Fun. So, I mean, I've been writing songs since I was like 16, yeah. but they've always kind of been the background because I'm always playing you know, for other people, which is great. And you would never um, say, hey guys, I got a song? Or would you defer to the person who started the band? Usually, I was cool just playing. Just just playing the instruments. I, I mean, I don't know how the politics work. I don't know how long you have to be in a band before you're like, I got a song, and then they're just like, cool George and Ringo. Like, <laughs> yeah. y- you'll get one for royalty. Yeah. There, uh, there was one time when I was in the first band called Airplanes out yeah. in the desert, and eventually um, I brought a song in, and, uh, and it, you know, it was fine. He was cool with it. He was my buddy. Cool. Yeah. And uh, with so many wizards, that never happened just because it's... It's all his stuff. He he writes so many songs. All good. Yeah. But do you sort of know when you're joining into it with someone else's band that that's sort of uh, the unwritten rule that your songs are your songs, but they have no place in time here? For the most part, okay. yeah. Which is why eventually after being... I was in so many Wizards for about like five years. Wow. Maybe four years. And you're stacking songs, right? Yeah. Yeah. So eventually I realized... You know what? I'm getting older. I'm in my mid-30s. Um, don't tell anyone that, hey, though. being yeah. in your mid-30s <laughs> is a good place to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I feel like I, like, paid my dues. Yeah. Um, how do those songs go from bedroom sketches or ideas to something where you go, this is real, this is something I want to share with the world, I'm going to go out and do it? Mm-hmm. Good question. I don't know. I think it was just a matter of time. I just, I kind of couldn't wait any longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I realized, you know, I had a good amount of songs, and I wanted, I wanted them to get heard. Um, so, yeah, I think it was just a matter of time. Just enough time had gone by, and I felt like I was kind of ready. And you wanted songs. to be like you, a front man. You didn't want to just have a song and be like, "I'm going out." And they're like, what's your next song? You're like, I only have one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and I noticed a, a, a small shift from that dream punk sound to a little bit more of like a synth pop. Mm-hmm. Um, especially uh, the, your first song, which was a cover of So Excited, definitely was very synthy. Like mm-hmm. super synthy, really beautiful. Um, what made you put the synth even more forward? And what made you want to do a cover as your first step out into the world? Um, we usually, I mean, it was kind of like the last thing that I thought I would do because yeah. I write songs, you know? 
um, and I have plenty of songs. Years of songs, yeah. <laughs> yeah, years of songs. I feel only the last few years are actually the good songs, though. Yeah, but, but you, um, you got to write those first few years exactly. to clear out all that stuff. To get, yeah. That's what people don't understand. You got to clear out all those ideas. You got to work stuff and be like, ooh, there was something I liked, and I'm just going to k- take that one little bit and move it. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, honestly, I feel like I'm kind of a late bloomer, too. All good? Yeah. Um, but anyways, oh, yeah, so, so excited. Yeah. So I was working at a deli, and uh, Gelson's, actually. Shout and out. I would, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Great deli. Another shout out. Really good sandwiches. Oh, really good. Like, yeah. really good. And yeah. good salads. I made really good sandwiches. I, yeah. Um, but I would come into work, and I would always sing songs, and that was one of them I would sing. And for some reason, I would always sing it slowed down. I'm so mm. excited. Almost kind of like just to be funny. But, but then, I, re- but then I, I got this keyboard, this Casio tone, and I started playing the chords on it. And then I realized, actually, this is a really good chord progression, and like a really good song. There's a reason why it was at the top yeah, of the yeah. charts. And like... And I wanted to play it slow and like not as a joke or not like to be ironic, but actually really do it. So I sat down and played it, and I realized, wow, this sounds r- like a completely different song. And I was working with a buddy at the time I was doing music with who played guitar, and he, I was surprised he really liked it. So we recorded it, and uh, I don't know, it, it kind of just felt like the strongest song I had at the time. Made it your own, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, can we hear it? Yeah. All right. It's our it's our next song. What? Uh, How'd that, that happen? <laughs> look at that. You were there. I was here. Now we're here together. Uh, all right. Well, here is I'm so excited. Pointer Sisters. Yes. Cover by Dev Ray here. At Danger Bird on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I just can't hide it 
Thank you. Very nice. Thanks. So after the single, the first single, you wound up hooking up with the Dangerbird record guys. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, who are very lovely folk. Oh yeah. Um, how'd you join forces? And you're part of the Microdose Singles collection. Yes. Uh, what is that? Um, Microdose. It's like a little. <clears throat> I think it's like a little trial thing or something. Like they kind of try out, uh, find. Band, local bands in the area and give them a shot at putting out a single and having them perform in their backyard. Um, that was awesome. It's pretty nice. And the first song, Can't Hide? Yes. Right? That's the first song you did with them. Uh, was that one of the songs from the archives? Was that a new song? Tell me about that one. <clears throat> Actually, um, that was another... That was a song I'd written before in my bedroom. Um, and it was almost like a disco song. It had a weird mm. disco beat. Yeah, it was a really weird disco kind of keyboard song. doesn't have to be weird. <laughs> Just different, right? It was a little weird. Okay. Um, but then, I, actually, I was in another band 
called Dr. Fadeaway with my friend Alethea. That's a good name. Yeah. Uh, Dream Pop, not Dream Punk. Okay. Dream Pop. Right. Um, she wrote all the songs and played keyboard. And I had this song, and we had an idea to bring it into that band, and we kind of changed it a little bit. The drummer, Sal, had an idea to uh, change the drum beat. Speaking of, um, Sal plays drums with me now. Joel plays guitar. Joel is in Devray Band mm-hmm. all the time. And, and our buddy Alec, but today we're stripped down, just so little duo, knows. Sunday duo, Sunday duo, yeah. I'm down. Yeah, Jazz it's, it's yeah. It's, it's when easy. are those mimosas coming by, Andy? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I believe we ordered a pitcher. <laughs> it's easy for Joel and I to get together. We could just you know practice real quick. But so you had an iteration of that song. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, we had a version of that song already, but then um. Alethea actually moved to Detroit, so that band kind of fizzled out, unfortunately. As one does. Yeah. <laughs> so then I took the song um, and recorded it with Sal, actually, with the, with my drummer, and he he, he helped me produce it. Um, so I had that was kind of like my most produced song I had, and then I had a couple other ones, and and I uh, ran into Aaron from Danger Bird. Hi, Aaron. Yeah. yeah. Shout out. Shout out. Actually, I met him at um, <laughs> yeah. one of the movie nights that they do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was when they were doing it in the studio in, at Water Village. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I just kind of bugged him, and I was like, hey, I like these movie nights you do. These are cool. Just started talking to him, and then I ran into him at Yummy. <laughs> and he he said, hey, do you have any music you want to show me? I said, Yeah. Little known fact that the best way to get a Danger Bird record deal is to work at Yummy. Pretty much. And stock grocers. Yeah. Like, Can I help you with something? Yeah. And here's a tape. Now <laughs> now there's going to be like a line of people like filling out applications. Classic LA story. <laughs> Classic LA story. Um, so now that you have this single out and you have another single out, uh, you're doing your own project. What's the road in front of you? What do you see is uh, doing for solo work as a late bloomer, but with the future wide open? Yeah. Um... Playing well, finishing two songs with Andy over there. Another shout out. Hey Andy, so many shout outs. Yeah, Andy. almost done. Almost done with those. Awesome. Yeah, um, you know, kind of a new direction. I mean, he's he's kind of pushed me in directions, different directions where where it's not like I couldn't go before because I like all kind. You know, mm-hmm. I like everything. I like pop and I like slow dream stuff and I like dance music, but. Um, Anyways, so we're almost done with those, and then kind of, you know, get those out and play more shows. I think I played, like, a few shows in a row, like four or five in a row after the Danger Bird, after the Microdose thing, um, and then I took a break to record, so I think January 11th we're going to play at the Hi-Hat. Awesome. It's yeah. a good venue. Yeah, with Crown Plaza, which is another band that Nemo from So Many Wizards has. I'm gonna stop talking about Nemo. Okay, let me, let me ask. Enough about him. How, More... <laughs> how incestual or how oh, very... overlapping is the LA music scene for those who might not be? Oh familiar yeah, with it? it's it's pretty incestual. I mean, well, Nemo has like three bands. I played in one of them. I filled in for two of them before. Mm. Um, Tomi Mitsu, mm-hmm. Mar- that's Martin's band. He played guitar in, in So Many Wizards. So, there, I mean, that kind of stuff happens all the time. Joel, I think, is in two or three bands, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so. no one feels like you're cheating on each other, right? Everyone's cool. Everyone's cool. Yeah. Polyamorous yeah. band yeah. scene, if it's, you will. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's kind of like that here. It's like if you're a, dec- if you're a decent you know, enough musician. And you're, and, and you're a nice guy or girl. And you're a nice you guy be nice. or girl. Exactly. Then, you know, you're, you're going to play in 
multiple bands. And so where do you see your 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 music, your future singles fitting inside the LA scene? Where would you like your voice to represent uh, the music here? Um, kind of like, what would you say, kind of the, fu- the soul, kind of the funky soul nights? Funky um, soul <laughs> nights, that's where he wants you to. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I do like funky soul night. Um, Who doesn't like funky soul night? Yeah, it's the best, it's the best music to dance to. Um, probably, I don't know, like pop, like pop. There's a big weird pop scene that. Yeah, yeah, um, it's a good question. Definitely not like the garage rock scene. Mm. Um, not that, I mean, that's a cool scene. I feel like so many wizards kind of put more of that scene. I guess I kind of look at myself as more like kind of singer-songwriter, but more like experimental pop kind of area. What would you say, Joel? I think you're right, experimental pop. That's cool. Yeah? That sounds good. Cool. Awesome. I'm, hor- I'm sorry, I'm horrible at like no, it's fine. those things. <laughs> it's like describe yourself in 100 words. Go. Yeah. Um, well, I want to thank you, and I want to make sure that we have enough time for one more song, but where can people listen to your music? I know it's up on Spotify, mm-hmm. uh, but where else can people get it, buy it, come Let's check see. out info for shows? Yeah, Devray on Spotify. I think Devray is on SoundCloud. Cool. In Bandcamp. Shout out to Bandcamp. Yeah. And Love those guys <laughs> and girls. <laughs> Endeavor Instagram, where you know I post videos and photos. Endeavor right? One Instagram, but yeah. number one, yeah, not spelled out. But yeah, How, how's your gram game? Good. It's pretty good. It yeah. Good. yeah, yeah, Not too much a hit. It's the perfect amount. Yeah. yeah, I like to post fun. You know, like I like to keep it nice, curated, kind of. <laughs> Nothing is worse than a artist posting about themselves and only that. Yeah, it's you know, not. Just... I get, I get that it's part promo, but let me get a, let me get a little piece of your world and your insights. That's yeah. not just. Hey guys, another show. Here's me in the bathroom mirror, you know. So. <laughs> totally. Um, so what's the last song you're going to take us out on? Um, this song is... Oh, this is Palaces. So this is... The B-side. Yes. This was side. one of the singles for the um, Danger Bird, for the uh, Microdose. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Danger Bird. Thank you to our food guests. Thank you, Heritage. Uh, Dev Ray, one last song. It's Naki Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We will see you next week. Have a good one. One, two, three, four. Palaces and a falling, tumbling down, falling down. The palaces and a falling all around, all around.
for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.